This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trained readers reflecting Jesus with Michael Burns and Jason Alexander. I'm your host, Gianna Hearn. And if you're following along with us, we are still in Ephesians. We're happy about that. Today, we're going to be focusing on chapter four, verses one through six. I got to introduce the fellas. Jason, what's up? What up? What up? Yup, I like that. I need to talk to you first more often and in more of a slangish way. Maybe I'll get more yeah, of that yeah. hype, Jason. Yeah, yo, I'm chilling the fresh way. Right? That That's exactly how I'm going to talk to you from <laughs> now on. Michael, Wow. how are you doing? I'll talk to I you was doing pretty good. I was doing pretty well until <laughs> you said slangish. Okay, I and make up all types I of was, words. I was immediately frightened because I knew Jason was going to go into his 90s hip-hop Yeah, DJ relapse B-boy. into my identity crisis. I said a hip yes. hip get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when he was, yes, when he was DJ Polar Bear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Well, we know how Jason's doing. We know how Michael's doing. I'm yeah, doing pretty you doing? good. <laughs> you good. I'm doing pretty no good. No one asks you. That's That's true. You're doing That's well. true. Anything I, exciting coming up, G? You know, I am traveling to All-Star Weekend this week as we're recording uh, for the NBA. If people don't know All-Star Weekend is, so the NBA All-Star Weekend. Yeah, I don't um, want to hear any more about how you're doing. That's And, <laughs> and what are you doing there, G? Are you just hanging out or? Yeah, you know, just chilling with my homies, as Jason would say. Um, <laughs> that's what I, I'd say. <laughs> I'm actually working a really cool event that the G League is partnering with the NBA. Uh, it's called the Next Up Game. It's the first time they've ever had this game, and essentially, it's a G League All Stars game. And oh, I just cool. hosted the Next Up Game draft, so it's just like the regular All Star game with like LeBron or whoever KD is selecting their team. Um, and so now our G League captains have selected their teams, are ready to get set and play, and it should be pretty exciting. So I'm I'm nice. excited for that because it's my first time being on NBA TV. Very yeah, cool. That's amazing. You're you know, I I declared myself eligible for the G League mm. last year, but I didn't hear anything back yet. So I'm still still waiting. Well, just I did. You- I heard back, but I told them I just got hired at the Desert Cities Church of Christ. Check next. Oh, they, look but at they you. made you an She's offer. She's the path of Jesus. I love it, Jason. <laughs> right. They were Sorry, like, "Hey, ahead. we need we need a really slow old yeah. six five white guy." They're, in the they're post. like, "We need someone who can do slow motion, so we <laughs> save money on slow motion for the playback." Yes. Fair enough. So are you going to get to see, um, what's his name? Uh, Victor? Uh, Wembanyama. Yeah, Wembanyama. Is he going to be in this next up game? Um, Wembanyama is not a G League player, so he will not be a part of this. That, that, He's that's not, not in the a, G League? Where does he play? He plays overseas. Oh, he I played like two games, like special games in the G League. Oh, then, okay. He okay. plays in France, so we won't be seeing him here. He did come over oh, and wow. play Team Ignite of the G League uh, in a like preseason game, but no, we won't be seeing him at All Star Weekend. But we will okay. see Scoot Henderson. Not that our viewers are here to listen about basketball. So <laughs> you asked good. how I was doing. That's what I'm doing. Getting ready for a really cool event. Um, and yeah, we're about to move. So the franticness of being married, having a baby, moving, having jobs, you know, doing all that stuff is fun. 
Yeah. Cool. That sounds like my year last year, mm-hmm. except oh. without the baby. <laughs> I mean, uh, okay, you're right. Yeah. I was going to say, you have a dog, and you do have children, I, but they're not babies. Well, <laughs> I think we need to get into the scripture for the day, the passage we're doing, Ephesians chapter 4. Let's get this one right, since I haven't been getting that right the last couple episodes. Zariah making an appearance already, good, if you can hear good. in the background. <laughs> and uh, verses 1 through 6, Amazing. we are going to read this. So, Michael, I'm going to mute, and I'll let you take it away. Okay. Ephesians 4. I've, I've suddenly become the regular reader. It's, I think because we can't trust Jason. And it's exactly why. Picks. Right. Yes. So here we go. Uh, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given. I don't actually want to read verse 7. I wanted to stop at verse 6, but I just got so excited I was reading on through seven, but we'll stop at verse six. So I'm going to start off with the reading glasses on and let Jason take it away. <laughs> I wanted to hear what she had to say. She seems, um, uh, Zaza is quite fired up today. That's good. That's a good sign. So what do you got, Jason? Reading glasses. Uh, well, there there are a few things. Uh, that I, okay. So, questions I would pose is, what does this got to do with that? That is what we read last week. Um, uh, th- there feels like a transition um, already a little, but it's going to feel. You'll feel even more as we move into the verses which follow these. But um, we're we're coming to a place in the letter where there is. Where I shouldn't say there is, but it can feel like more pointed instruction. Um, uh, yeah, parakalo, um, parakalo. I guess it would be uh, like this. This first word, like um, yeah, like I I encourage you, I exhort you. It's the word for comfort too. It's really it's the it's the first words of Isaiah's, you know, great. Um, Comfort, comfort, my people. So th- there's mm. a, <clears throat> there's a, um, there's a summons to do something with what he's been talking about, uh, which is pretty cool. So how how do the two pieces fit together? They're not, in fact, two pieces. This is one letter, but it feels like it when you stick numbers in, and headings and verses and all that stuff. Uh, but um, yeah. The um, the role of these um, these seven things he he brings up s- seven different uh, uh, pillars I suppose uh, of of unity I, I don't know how we're going to describe those but um, those are interesting seven different seven different uh, things which 
which should be agreed upon three different um, both masculine, feminine, and neuter uses of the of the word one, um, which we get if we really want to get in the weeds, we could talk about that. But um, but why bring all these things up? Why these? Why these seven? Is there significance to the number seven? Um, and then what's the role? Uh, because I think we can tend to take this list um, almost like an like items on a list, like. You know, you check, I believe this, check, I believe this, check, I believe, you know, it's like once you, if you can agree with all of this and believe in it, then, then you've done what Paul wanted you to do. And I don't think that's the case here. Um, so mm-hmm. whatever these things do, it's not just a list that we should all agree upon. And once we've agreed upon it, we've, we've understood. Let's see, is there anything else? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's the idea that doctrine has has a, a a role. It's not just an end in itself, right? No, no doctrine is just like believe this, and and once you've believed it, it's it's over. Um, even baptism, baptism isn't just a matter of yeah, I agree, baptism needs to happen so we can go to heaven. But baptism itself is a is an awakening into a whole new way of life. It's baptism is leading us deeper into the heart of God. And I would argue each of these things are meant to lead the church in a direction. They're not ends in themselves as beliefs, but they're pathways or um, what's the language we used before, Michael? It's from that, that book about the, um, what was that book? Uh, the, the, the centered set, the fuzzy set centered set stuff. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. What did he, yeah. what did he call it? It's like, um, like sidewalks or something like that. Like, well, that's what I called it. Yeah. Side, okay, sidewalks right. or fences. Yeah. 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 Okay. Right. Or fences. But these are things which, which when believed guide one further in, so to speak, they give us a greater uh, opportunity for, for experiencing the salvation of God. So anyways, all right, we can talk more about that as we get, get into it, but that's what I got. All right, like it. Yeah, I as I'm looking at it, you know, I, I just love what you said that it is not a list that we should look off like check. Like I'm so interested in hearing what you guys have to say and expound more on that. Um, but to me, it just seems like from what we read earlier, verse three, where it says make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Like unity is such a big thing that we're seeing and continuing to see here in this passage from what we saw the last time we talked. Um, and then also something that caught my eye, and I typically just glance over where in verse one says, as a prisoner for the Lord. Like, Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yes. I'm like, okay, so what was he trying to draw out of his, you know, readers, listeners, right. uh, we'll say readers, when he's saying that? Like, is that like me saying, you know, like from one struggling mom to everyone else who doesn't understand this, or I, I don't know, you know, so mm. maybe you guys have more clarification on why the emphasis on him being a prisoner for the Lord. Um, he also is in prison. So it's just so interesting. Uh, those are quick things that I see, Michael. Yes. Let's go into it more. Well, Queen G, I like your observation. And we will definitely talk about that in the time machine the whole prisoner thing and what paul is doing there um as i as i read this i think you guys have hit 
a lot of the highlights. I, I agree with Jason that there's a definite shift in tone and focus. Uh, the first three chapters, although it's often stressed that Paul will, uh, you know, if you read a pick up a, your average commentary, it will say, well, the first three chapters, Paul lays down the theology uh, and the theological basis, and then chapters four to six are the practical applications or implications of that theology. And again, while that's true, I, I think the 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 real shift in tone and focus here is it's still connected, though. I think the first three chapters, Paul is highlighting the, the cosmic battle that's going on, the the spiritual battle between God and the powers. And how God has gained that victory through Christ and how we are invited into that victory. And then the last three chapters begin to answer and deal with, but what does that look like? If there is, uh, if God has defeated the powers and authorities, do we need to do anything? Should we just celebrate and enjoy that victory? Uh, or is there still a, a reality that the battle's going on, but Christ has already one in a, a certain from a certain angle, but all the implications of that victory are not worked out. So there's still things to do. And I think that's what Paul would say. And so chapter four here starts with, this is how we join in the battle. This is how we are part of it. This is what we need to do in, in Christ. And so um, I think as there's a couple of warnings, and as we read chapter four and beyond, one is to make sure that we never reduce anything Paul says here to just simple moral rules or guidelines. Uh, you know, as Jason was kind of alluding to, like, oh, I've done this check, and now I'm good, and that means that I'm a good person and a Christian. Um, Paul is more thinking in terms of this is our part in the battle. This is this is what we should be seeing in our community if we're reflecting that image-bearing aspect of Christ. The other warning I would say there is that, you know, it's important when reading the New Testament to read through both the community lens and the individual lens. I think um, uh, we need to have a balance there. But I think for us, we're so used to reading everything individualistically and from that angle and interpreting it and immediately jumping to what does this mean for me, that we're not in too much danger of neglecting that aspect. So I think we have to be really intentional about looking for what Paul is saying about the body of Christ together as a collective, what the implications are for the community. And, you know, so that's that's our struggle where probably Paul's original audience would tend to more overemphasize the collective and need to be reminded at times of the individual as well, but, although he naturally does emphasize the collective because that's how they thought. So they needed to have that balance in one way. We need to have it in, in another way. All right. Makes sense. Looks like we're going to have a great discussion. So let's move into the time machine. Well, I hope we're going to have a great discussion. <laughs> that's that's remains to be seen. <laughs> yeah, that was a little presumptuous of me. 
Uh, so what? I already mentioned verse one. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think maybe we can start there, Michael, if you're okay with that. But as a prisoner I for the Lord. I would love to. What is he talking to. about? So, okay. So here's the thing. In real terms, in physical terms, Paul is a prisoner. Uh, he, he's in jail. Uh, and he's in and out of jail frequently in his ministry, and he'll have to address that sometimes because that's a mark of shame. That's not necessarily something you're looking for in your spiritual leader, like, oh, he's in jail. Uh, okay, why? <laughs> you know? That'd um, be weird today. <laughs> yeah, you would have some questions if, you know, you had like a guest speaker at your church and they're like, Hey, we're going to have this great guest speaker. He went in the ministry 25 years ago. He just got out of a 12-year stint in a federal prison, and now he's here to preach to us. And you'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa excuse me. Oh, dude, I would um, love to hear that. <laughs> we know That's you amazing. would. Oh. You, you, you wouldn't have any questions, Jason? Just <laughs> no, I just, like, I'd like dog. to see that unfold. That's just <laughs> but That's amazing. I, I would guess back then, Michael, and maybe you're going this way, but it was a little different than if someone like a pastor would be in prison nowadays. Back then, there was reasons as to why he'd be in prison that would make sense to the communities. Oh, that's a well, good they, point. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think they would. Uh, I think Paul is constantly reminding them because there is a concern like, why why are you in prison? Mm. That, you know, they, they, they viewed the world through similar lens that we do. Like, they didn't for the most part, you know, they didn't walk around thinking, man, I live in an evil country and anybody in jail is innocent. And they're thinking, what'd you do? Like, you know, was it, was it treasonous? Was it, you know, whatever they, they appreciate mostly living in the Roman empire, uh, especially as you get into the Gentile areas. And so, but there's a shame that comes with being in prison. That's why Paul will often say, don't be ashamed of my chains. And he'll remind them that it's a good thing. So, but what he's actually doing is there's a bit of irony in that he's really in prison. But what he says here is I'm a prisoner for the Lord. That's, that's, that's why I'm here. That's who I'm really a prisoner to. I'm not really a prisoner to the Roman empire. They're not really in charge. And so what he does very subtly is he owns a term that would normally bring shame. He turns it around and he's like, I'm going to own this. I'm I'm not going to let it mark me with shame. I'm going to, I'm going to take ownership of it and I'm going to use it for my purposes and what should bring shame. I'm actually going to find honor. Yeah. It's so interesting. He uses the word and I could be totally off because I am not a word person like understanding this is more jason you think but he says a prisoner for the lord instead of like of the lord like as if he you know is is mindful of what he's doing like for the lord versus of does that do you see where i'm going with that how that can be different yeah. if you were you were a prisoner of whatever leader you know a prisoner of pilots or instead of for like for to me seems like you're doing it for someone yeah. With a, a consciousness or a choice of following or doing something for, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, but to me, yeah. it was a little striking that he, he, you know, he's like, "I'm a prisoner for the Lord," not because he's forcing. And that would, to me, use the word of. Um, but yeah, because I, I like like writing. That would, to me, is a little interesting. Uh, for yeah, that, versus that of. is 
that is nice. That's it. like that translation decision is, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's an, well, you know, I'll, a lot of these translation decisions are also interpretations, but yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's Desmios and Curio, uh, which is in the Lord, like woodenly mm. in Greek, it's prisoner in the Lord. Like it's a, it, it, it's, um, but four gets the, captures the sense that it's not just God put me in prison, um, but, but I'm in prison for God. Um, uh, prisoner of the Lord could could imagine that like he's you know this just happened to him, but th- this gives the sense that it's instrumental. It 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 there's has, a purpose. To yeah, it. exactly. Right, right. I'm not mm-hmm. just not, in jail. not being detained by someone. Yeah, willy nilly. But yeah, it's a, but it's well, a, he's and, and sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Jason. I was going to say, but what my, what what you just said, I think, is the larger. Um, um, surprising point that it's like um, not just being in a jail cell, but imagining that jail cell as the like that's his pulpit. So I don't know if that's even strong enough. Like that's his ministry. Those are the tools of his ministry or not even the tools. That's the heart of his ministry. Um, like that's where yeah. he needs to be to do what he's called to do. He can't be somewhere else. And, and that's, I think, the the beauty of the simple word he uses there, prisoner in the Lord, is it po- points in both directions. It can be of and for, and I think that's kind of what he's saying. I'm I'm a prisoner for the Lord. I'm here for a purpose. God is flipping this upside down. He's taking what should be shameful and bringing it to honor. Uh, but I'm also a prisoner of the Lord. You know, in other places he'll mm-hmm. say I'm okay. I'm a slave, yeah. and so he's like, this is this is what I'm doing, and and the the bottom line of it is is God's victory is is being worked out in humbling circumstances, mm-hmm. in things that the world you know, uh, Paul's not a king; he's not sitting on a throne proclaiming Jesus is the real king. He's sitting in a prison and saying God is using the shameful the weak, the, the outcast, the oppressed to, to show that he is doing what the world can't do. He's putting the world to rights through the, through weakness. And so me sitting in prison here is a perfect place for me to proclaim the gospel from when, when viewed through those lenses. Yeah. And so, uh, let, let me, let me point out one other thing here. Um, in, in that same vein, I think then he continues in this letter to call them to humility, uh, uh, you know, a point of shame and low status. The way he's calling them to is not a popular way. It's not popular in the culture. Uh, even, you know, the terms he uses when he when he says, uh, be completely humble and gentle. Humility was considered a weakness by the Greco-Roman culture. It was it was something that people of low status needed to show because they didn't have freedom, they didn't have status, they didn't have honor. And so again, Paul is has flipped status for himself, and now he's flipping it for them and calling them to look at something like humility and say, embrace that, even though the culture looks down on it. 
and so he's calling them to be exactly what he is, which is emptied, weak. Um, and, and that's the that's the power of the cross in a sense, is you know, Jesus dies for us and brings us allows us to come into Christ, allows us to enter into this victory that he's won against the powers and authorities where there's just division and conflict and chaos, and we can come into the unity in Christ, and it's it's free. We don't have to do anything. We just enter into Christ. But then the challenging part is he does ask us, just as he died for us, we then die for him. We die to ourself. We die to status. We die to all the things that we desire and want that will get us ahead. And we enter into this world of being nothing for the benefit of others, just as Christ did. Yeah, there, there's a few, um, and it, it's delayed because we won't get to it till chapter five, but this is really just such a, a yeah, just a, what he, he's like a rhetorical master in so many ways because, like, like first of all, he's not saying, I mean, parakalo, like, yeah, I command, but it's more like a, a sense of, I'm summoning you, trying to encourage you and give you the courage to, as as someone who's in prison, for God's sake, to walk. And in the English trace, the English translations which say, "Live a life," that captures the idiom, right? Like, "Live a life" is the idea, but the actual word is walk, walk. Um, worthy, the calling. Um, and walk is a metaphor used throughout the, the whole Bible to describe one's way of being with God, before God, as a called person uh, uh, by God. Um, and he'll say in chapter five, what does he say? It's like the first line walk in love. And so this this language, this metaphor that's really going to gain steam in, in the letter about walking um, is really helpful. And and it, it can be hidden when, the, when in English it says, live a life worthy. That's the idea. But he's going to use this idea of walking as a way of describing life. So um, what does it look like to, to, to live worthily? Well, by chapter five, he's going to say you walk in love. So I, I really love how he's, there's a, there's a case being built. I mean, throughout the letter there is, but these aren't just like quick under the gun. It's getting late. I got to get this letter out. I got to send this email off to the Ephesian churches. It's, it's very deliberate and crafted in a way that's leading the readers to see what sort of walk we should have, what sort of way we should be, not just what we should do. Um, and I don't mean to get into like the whole, we're not human. What is it? We're human beings, not human doings. That, that's not what I mean, but there, but there not is a sense, there is a, human- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a sense here in which it is a, it is a summons to be and live a certain way, not just to do or believe certain things. And that's a little harder um, makes it harder to preach because <laughs> you can't control this. People have to accept it 
And um, anyways, we can get to that in the time machine. But yeah. No, I think that's really good, Jason, because I think his emphasis is, is again, on a community being an image bearing community yeah. and not as much on here's what you as an individual need, what to, you need do to do to make yes. sure yes, yes. that you're a good Christian. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I don't think Paul leaves us without some steps forward, but I don't think his goal is, is just like, you, you got to be holy and loving. Here are the steps to be holy and loving. And once you do these steps, you'll end up be like, it's kind of an oversimplification because he's aiming at not just behaviors, but a whole way of thinking about God and then living in light of those realities, like letting it flow down from how we understand God uh, rather than kind of building from the bottom up. Though, as soon as I say that, I want to, my devil's advocate, I want to argue with myself, but anyways, I'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) You argue with yourself quite a bit, Jason. Pretty much all I do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we keep going in the time machine, is there anything else, Michael, you want to bring up? Yeah, let, let me mention this. You know, as Paul says, he's a prisoner, and he says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, pointing back to what he's been saying in right. the whole letter, but particularly chapters two and three, I urge you, and really we should read that as, I urge you all for to sure. live right. a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling is to enter into Christ, to to come into Christ, into his power. And so we should be a community that looks like Christ, that reflects who Christ is. And remember, Paul is writing this in the midst of the churches he's writing in Asia Minor are being attacked, and they don't know it. They're being routed by the powers and authorities. There, there is a temptation to divide along uh, probably ethnic lines, cultural lines, status lines, all of those were at play in the church. And he says, you've been called to something different. And so when he starts to say, be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another, it's not a checklist. Like do this and you're in, don't do it and you're out. It is more of a, these are the these are the characteristics that you're going to need to build into your community to be the, the outworking of God's wisdom, to be the place where the powers and authorities are defeated. Because the, the work of the powers and authorities is division. So their defeat is unity. And to have that kind of unity, we need to have the humility of Christ, the gentleness of Christ, the patience, the bearing with others. So in verse 3, where Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. If we were translating that in English and keeping the same play on words, it would say the oneness of the Spirit. And that's that's what God is doing. He's bringing, going back to chapter 1, he's bringing all things on heaven and earth back together as one in Christ. There, there is a oneness. And so then he uses seven, which is a biblical number for completeness, kind of the whole package. And he, he starts listing off these, these ones because that's what God is doing. And especially in the battle against the powers and authorities that are dividing, he's bringing us into this oneness and unity. 
And so everywhere we look, there's, there's one oneness to the body. There's oneness to the spirit. There's one hope, one uh, Lord, one faith, one baptism, one father. And so we could break all those down and have theological discussions about them. I don't want to do that right now. I want to look at kind of the bigger flow of what Paul is doing and saying, this is the nature of God. He is, he's about oneness. He created us as image bearers to be unified and united and be one humanity. And because of sin, we broke that up. And now God is bringing that back together as, as oneness. And so if we break down and we're not humble and we're not gentle and we're not patient. And instead we exalt, um, you know, being right and impatient with one another and the cultural wisdom and wisdom of the world and, and my favorite doctrine, you know, and I mean, we can even do this under a guise of being spiritual where I've seen people get some doctrine, oftentimes a minor doctrine in their craw about, Oh, if anybody teaches this, it's, it's the greatest threat to the church and it's heresy. And they just pull an ax out and start going at it. And it's like, it's the exact opposite of what we're called to. Now, that doesn't mean like, oh, anything goes just in the name of unity. But Paul's saying, hey, the powers are clever and they will find ways to divide us. We are called to a oneness here. Unity is the fight. Oneness is the way we win the battle. Makes a lot of sense. I think... Um... Well, I don't know if you're ready to move on, but I think we could move on. We right. certainly could. Yeah, go for it. So we're moving to take a selfie. And, you know, I'm so thinking about verse two. Uh, I don't know why I said so thinking, but <laughs> maybe that shows my <laughs> I'm youth. So I'm so thinking. She just went eighth grade girl right there. Right. Like, oh, my goodness. That's not like me. <laughs> um, but in verse two, when you were talking, Michael, about how he was calling them to be completely humble and gentle, and that's so different from that time, um, patient and bearing with one another in love, like that'd be just so different. I feel like it's so different for us. Like he would be calling us to do the same things. Being humble and gentle in America doesn't seem, in my opinion, like the way. Uh, I don't see a lot of humility. I see a lot of boasting, a lot of pride. And, um, you know, being patient and bearing with one another, we don't see that a lot. So just in the take a selfie realm for me, um, you know, I think that we're being called to that. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. I look out the window, it's hailing. So like I hear rocks hitting my window. I'm like, what's wow. happening? <laughs> oh, I'm all over the place. For that you guys, will shake but- your train of thought when you look out and see the the judgment of the Lord banging into your window. <laughs> you know, it's been sunny all day and all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> I was like, um, <laughs> so yeah, take a selfie for me. That's what I was thinking about was just, God, why is it so difficult to be humble? Why is it so difficult to be <laughs> gentle? <laughs> I know women, we, we read a lot in the Bible about, Oh, we have to be gentle and, you know, respectful and all these things. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, being gentle is one of the hardest things when I'm frustrated or when I'm trying to communicate with my husband. Um, but yeah, so that was interesting to me. You pointed that out, and that's what I was thinking about and take a selfie. No, that's really good. And do you know what 
I think in the Christian community, and this is true for myself as well, but I, I think this is is really true among Christians, is the number one cause of us dropping being humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another is because we think we're right spiritually. Mm, I could see that. The, the minute I'm convinced that I'm right. <laughs> yeah. I have it figured out. I know what God wants. hundred percent. Then if you don't agree with me or you don't do it the way that I think it should be done, or you don't do it the way I want it done, then that means you're wrong. And far too often, we then go to, well, I no longer have to be humble. I no longer have to be patient. Mm -hmm. I have to stop you and mark you out and strike you you down. Yes, make you understand or stop your influence or whatever. Um, I think that's the number one danger. And again, I'm not saying we go all the way to... There's just nothingness there, and anything anybody says is right. But we can disagree and still do so humbly and gently and patiently and in love. And I think that's how we overcome a lot of those disagreements and arguments is there's a reason, I think, that Paul starts with be completely humble. That's yeah. that's who Jesus was, right? That that has to be the starting point. But thinking we're right is the it's the death knell of humility far too often. And I think it's so funny he talks about that before he talks about all the things that we should be in unity about. <laughs> like because all the things that he pointed out are things that I've heard disagreements within the Christian community about and you start to see people be less gentle less humble. Uh, And even myself, it's pretty difficult sometimes when I have come to that conviction about one of those things listed here. And, you know, I'm trying to push for it. And I'm like, okay, well, that's probably not the way Jesus would push for these things. But um, I I saw Jason making some faces, didn't know if he was going to mention anything here. But um, well, Well, Jason just got up and walked away. (laughs) I said, we'll come back to him. (laughs) Maybe there's hail, hail there as well. I don't know. Um, He's probably accessing a book or he just had enough of the episode. But let me say one thing and then Jason mm-hmm. take it is, um, yeah, I, I, I think, um, well, now, see, now I lost my train of thought, Gianna. It was a really uh, good yes. thought, too. I was just mentioning how it's interesting how Paul mentions being humble and gentle before he talks about all the other things that we would get in disagreements oh, about potentially. Yes, yes, yes. I know what I was going to say. Uh, I was going to say f- for me, the 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 thing that uh, that I try to use to create a boundary uh, of going to a bad place is constantly having in my mind the question: But what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? Mm-hmm. Uh, e- even the things that I really believe and I'm passionate about, I'm like, that's that's what I'm going to teach. That's what I'm going to hold to. But there has to be a little bit of a balance of, but what if I'm wrong? Because that helps me. 
I still hold to the truth. I'm not saying, ah, I just don't believe in anything and whatever, but that helps me hear other people out, listen uh-huh. to them, be respectful of their position. Uh huh. Maybe they have a point rather than just running and being like, no, I'm right. You're wrong. And now it's my job to stamp out the fire that is you. And I think I'm a little leery of Christians who don't have that that boundary, that damper to them of, you know, I believe this strongly, but at the same time, I could be wrong. So let me approach any topic with a little bit of humility and a lot of curiosity and patience and love and all of that. Jason, what were you going to add? Okay, so let's see. When I dipped out, we were describing uh, the, the, the... Arrogance, which accompanies certainty, right? Something like that. Like, yes, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, right. Which is which is like precisely why I don't think you know this list, which is you know which he offers, is like um, you know now here's something for you to argue about. <laughs> you know, like here <laughs> here's something for you to you know like feel superior because you have. Um, you right. have this list. And in fact, it doesn't even, it's, it's really abrupt. Like the texts, what it actually says, um, a unity. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Like oneness of the spirit, um, in the bond of peace, one body and one spirit. It doesn't even say there is, or here's what I mean. Or here's what you're supposed to believe. Like we we turned it into like a list for beliefs, but I think he's just unpacking uh, what it means to have unity. It's like it's one, 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 and this is a big deal within the, the Israel's faith, right? Like you can uh, the 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 kind of core prayer slash confession, uh, the Shema, Deuteronomy six, four and following and 11 and numbers 15. Uh, But, but the, but the, the statement Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And that's that Echad, that the, the Lord, our God, the Lord is whatever the Lord won. It's a big discussion and it's, it's part of what's being played on here, right? Like one, one God, it, uh, or God only, however we're going to translate, that's a big deal within within um, within the Bible. And even here, this can't just be like some list for the sake of being a list, because look, he says one Lord. Who's the reference uh, to? Like the Lord? Is it Jesus? Um, in the in the Old Testament, that word kurios in the Greek translation is a reference to. Uh, the Lord, right? Like Yahweh, uh, Israel's God. So there's one Lord, which is a reference to Jesus, but it's also a reference to the creator God, the covenant-making God. And then he goes on to say that one uh, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Well, if you, I thought you just said God, but now you're saying God and Father. So there's a Lord, and then there's a God and Father. 
Aren't they the same? And the spirit. Yeah, and then the spirit. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. so it's like this mm-hmm. Trinitarian faith that's being offered that's not on the bottom shelf in a way. It's a, it's a mystery which the church enters into, um, and it's not a left turn, as Paul's argument, I think, throughout his letters is this is what we pray every day in Shema, right? That God alone, God, as it turns out, is is more complicated. What we mean by God's oneness is a big deal. And so it's that oneness of God, which is kind of a, it's not flexible, but it's, it's open in a sense. Um, so I don't know if I'm making it any, but, but to be dogmatic about that then, and to use this as just like, see, it says one this, there's one church. Which church is it? It's our church. There's one baptism. Which baptism is it? It's the way we do it. There's one, you know, there's, 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 uh, uh, what is it? One faith. Well, which faith is it? It's the faith we have, the way we do it. It's like, if you start reading it like that, you've really missed the point. You've turned it into a way to support your beliefs rather than a way to like we like you said like a sidewalk like a way into a yeah. deeper participation in god himself yeah. Mm. yeah uh before we move on michael any thoughts on yeah. what he said yeah well let me i, I want to ask you guys this question quick mm-hmm. um and and I'll ask the question and then I'll unpack it just a little to explain it because I didn't give you this question ahead of time because I wanted to, I wanted to catch you unawares and throw it at you with no Great. preparation. Unawares. <laughs> yeah, you like that? <laughs> what was it? What was afraid you said the one day? Is it thus and so or something like that? It was ridiculous. I don't know, but I like bringing phrases like that back. I, for a long time, wanted to bring back the word betwixt. Yeah, there you go. I don't yeah. think we use that <laughs> enough. That's a Southern you word, know, I be, think. Betwixt my pearly teeth. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So you're going to catch us Here's the question. Yeah. Yes. What is the, because Paul's been talking a lot about, Unity being in Christ, Christ being our identity, the the center of what we're doing and understanding, and Christ is being in Christ is at the center of all that. What is the center of most churches that you've been a part of? I'm not picking on any one congregation or any one thing, but just think about in general the churches you've been a part of. What is the center? And and I uh, let me caveat that just a bit. All churches that I know of would say that Jesus is the center. Okay, given. Maybe so. Uh, no argument here. But there's always a manner in which we express that, in which uh, we stress that. Yeah. Um, so, okay, Jesus is at the center, but what aspect? How do yeah, we live yeah. out his lordship? How can you tell? What is stressed? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. What what is stressed? What is taught? What is emphasized? What is, uh, you know, what is trusted to fix the problems in the community? Like, boy, if things aren't going well, if we just do this and get back to focusing on this, that will fix everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so maybe maybe it's 
behavior and following the rules and moral goodness. Maybe it's evangelism and growth. Maybe it's adhering to community standards. Maybe it's it's a whole number of, of things. Maybe it's being uh, the image-bearing community, the new creation. But, but as I ask that, you don't have to give a long answer. You can answer however you want. But what, what is the center of most churches that you've been a part of truly? Jeez. Mm, I mean, I think it's changed for me. Um, and you might be hearing Z in the background, so sorry about that. But That's okay. She's good. fine. That's welcome. <laughs> you know, it's changed for me from when I was a little girl, young girl going to church. Uh, you know, I went to different types of churches than I do now, but I would say a lot of it was just, a, you know, about faith and believing and, but not really understanding whatever that meant. <laughs> just like, I felt an emotional connection. So it was really just like, you know, pray and feel good about God. Um, so I guess it was, yeah, that would be one. But then as I moved into more, more current space, it's been a he- heavy focus to me uh, definitely on baptism and on the word being the truth and that being the like defining thing of how I live. Um, and now as I've continued through both of those, I've, I've, I'm coming to, I think, a crossroads where I'm seeing maybe some, not faults, but things that I am trying to work through right now between both different styles and what they center their church around. I, I'm feeling as if, Neither have got it completely right. But also, do I know what is completely right? So, you know, just trying to work my way through it. And I know the scriptures talk about uh, attaining maturity and the unity of the spirit. I'm trying to figure out what that is. Like, there's a maturity aspect to to my walk. Um, and I know that only comes with time living through this and working through it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I would say before it was a heavy emphasis on faith and now just a heavy emphasis on salvation and doctrine yeah that's a that's such a tough tough question to to answer in many ways because it's like you said i mean who's going to be courageous enough to say or you know disconnected enough to say you know the, the the triune god is not at the center i think i think every every church tries to make that the the center and in the way we describe who we are that's how we put it and if if it turns out that that's not exactly what's at the center it's not a cover up it's not like a lie i think it's it's always been how we understand what that looks like so um we'd say you know, you could say Jesus is at the center of everything we do, um, but then um, maybe it doesn't it it doesn't look like we believe that. But if you asked us, we'd say no. That's what it would look like if Jesus was in the center. So it's like it it becomes our way of understanding. I don't know if I'm making sense, but like it becomes our way of understanding. So it's you know, I think um, the way that the churches I've been a part of have operated, I think I would have just been under the assumption, yeah, this is what it looks like when Jesus is at the center. I think as I get older, kind of like Jesus, you know, you start to look back and say, yeah, we, we may have thought that, but I don't know if that was perfectly true all the time. Um, I think for, I, I go out on a limb and say a, 
a lot of churches, maybe most, I would imagine a lot of churches, maybe I'm being a little too wide here in what I'm saying, but like it's a struggle to not have Jesus at the center, but then also have like at least a toe in the inner circle. Like we're also there too, you know? So I've I've experienced a, a lot of that. Like we would say Jesus is at the center, but there's also a lot of worry about us, you know? Um, where we're at, how big we are, you know, are things going according to plan? Do we have the right leadership? Do we have the right sermon series? Do we have the right, you know, strategy? Do we have the right mission statement? Is our website good enough? Is, you know, like all of the things that allow us to keep Jesus at the center start to move into the center um, has been my experience. And, um, when that happens, it's hard to recenter. It's hard to get those things out and get it back on God because, because having the Lord at the center means you're waiting on him. Um, it means you got to maybe stop working so hard in some ways. <laughs> We're not used to that. So, um, so I'm trying to be charitable because unfortunately a lot of the churches I've been a part of, I've led. <laughs> so if it's <laughs> like, I've been the lead pastor in, in, in those situations. So, um, you know, if, if Jesus wasn't at the center, some of that's my responsibility. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that's interesting. I, and I asked not because I have some big agenda or I don't even have a big point to make off of that. Um, it was more in a way with a heart of like, I think this is something we need to be I agree. reflecting on constantly. I really so agree. In, in a way, yeah, yeah in, in a way, gee, I'm kind of moving into the kingdom come here as well. Yeah, but let's do it. I, I, you know, I, I've certainly experienced a, uh, quite a number of different aspects of that. And, and let me say, you know, no church perfectly has Jesus at the center the way it should be. I mean, that's just that that's not going to happen in the present age. That's what we strive for. We should. And I learn, think we should so, learn that. That's a good point. Yeah, we're never going to be perfect. And I think if I look at a church I'm involved with, with a group of people that I'm involved with, um, and I say, "Wow, our you know." Christ is not perfectly at our center. We have other things that we emphasize that come in. Well, of course you will. You have ways that you're going to express that. And sometimes that gets imbalanced or you lose sight of it. But that doesn't mean, oh, now I've got to throw that baby out with the bathwater and get rid of that group. It just means a, a we should be partaking in a mature sense of self-examination. I, growing up, I was part of churches where I would say, man, really the center, the thing that we emphasized and taught and stressed and, and trusted on was like moral behavior. You follow these rules and then you're part of the community. Um, then as I have gotten older, uh, I've been part of groups where, again, trying to make Jesus the center, but I think sometimes the main vehicle we did that was through discipleship, but then subtly uh, growth became the center and the marker of our health. How do we know if we're healthy? We got this many baptisms. We grew this much. 
uh, you know, and that kind of becomes a center. How do we fix our problems? We'll, we'll just, we got to get out there and share our faith and baptize more. And I'm not down on those things. We should be doing those things. But they subtly start replacing Christ at the center, Christ as our identity, pursuing Christ, becoming like Christ in all the ways, being the image-bearing community. Um, and, and so I think for Paul at the center is Christ, certainly, but the expression of that is the unity of Christ. Uh, are we an image-bearing community that displays that just righteousness that displays that no no longer the steps of inequity, but now we have the egalitarian level ground of the cross of Christ. Is is that our center? Is are we truly an image bearing community? So again, I don't have all the answers there. I think it's more something for mature self reflection. Yeah. Yeah. And again I again I, I think that's like right if if um if the the problem has been a split within the church, um, right? If if the work of evil um, or hostile powers in the church looks like division, suspicion, mistrust, marginalizing, all of that, uh, like it feels like is the problem in this letter so far, right? As a Jew Gentile split. Um, down the middle, um, if that's the if that's the issue, the 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 medicine, so to speak, or the or the way to to combat that is not let's get bigger. It's not let's get smarter or more articulate or better with our Bible knowledge or go to a conference, or learn a new trick, or whatever. It's none of that. It's that deep work of coming back to, like, look at God himself, like, as a as one, and yet, you know, like, utterly unified within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our baptism is a participation in that. Our trust, which I think is what he means by faith, I think it's one faith, but I think it's trust is the idea. Like our trust in him, like our whole interaction with the divine is like, there's one way to interact with this one God who himself is utterly unified. And so if our, if, if we have a prayer of being unified, it's going to be by mimicking the core, you know, the, the center of our faith, which is you know these he he describes it in seven seven words but it's it's not just a list it's a um it is a list but i mean it's it's a way in um and so i i really think we've talked a lot about the church's witness to the unbelieving world or to the skeptical world however you know wherever we're at whatever neighborhoods where our churches live in um and the witness is this stuff, right? This mystery of Christ, the, the, the Jew Gentile as one, right? Doesn't he say that? He's like, he's made the two one, not he's made the two unified. He's made the two one. Like that is the, that is the witness. And so if we were to try to like, you know, if we just get more, we we'll bring your neighbor day, we'll get more unified. It's like, no, it goes the other way. Like you get unified by coming back to what you actually believe and know about God, learning about him 
And then there's your witness for your bring your neighbor day. Now you got something to put on display. So I, I feel like we often, especially as leaders, we tend to look for solutions to like, you know, uh, what, okay. Last thing I'll say, like, um, you know, you know, you know, uh, the, what the church is really lacking these days is a mission. We need a mission. It's like, no, that, that is, that is not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying you guys are so disunified. And if you just got outward focused, all that scrapping right. about unity would just evaporate because we just, just need, go away. Yeah. We just need a mission. We need to be mission minded. And if we get mission focused, we're going to be okay. And Paul seems to be saying, no, the problem is deep and it has to do with your lack of understanding about God, but you know this stuff. So come back to what you know, now move forward from there. Um, so I, I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. I like it. I think that's a good way to wrap up the show. And as we said earlier, it was going to be a great discussion. I think it was. I don't know if Zariah agrees. I think so. There it is. She's uh-huh. very happy with it. Little She's like, can Reggie. you get off? <laughs> she uh, wants her mom back. Yeah. So we'll give her that. But before we go, we want to thank everyone for tuning in and for everyone that has followed us as well supported us as a Patreon listener. And I hope you guys are all enjoying the extra bonus content. Do you guys have more bonus content coming up? Oh, it's going to keep coming. Yeah. yeah, we just put up an episode uh, in our Do We Need the Church series talking about is the kingdom of God and the church the same thing? And we have coming up a, a new episode that will drop soon on our songs we shouldn't sing. We're going to focus on the classic I'll Fly Away. All righty. Well, one thing we didn't get into, did your guys' Super Bowl pick win? Um, no. yes. I picked the Chiefs. Nope. All the uh, way. Jason's like, I don't watch that pigskin leather. Is that what that's yeah, called? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm straight. I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't have a dog in that fight. I did watch the whole game, though. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a really good game. It was a good game. Yeah. It was a good game. I just know that Michael probably loved the halftime performance. That's a different conversation. You know Michael did day. not, but let's move on. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Staying in Ephesians for Gianna. I'm Gianna Hearn. We'll be back with you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>